Welcome again, everybody, to another episode of the Modern Agilist, where we explore the bleeding edge in organizational design, incremental and iterative delivery of value. Born out of software, but not stopping there, growing into every area of ingenuity, project management, and organization. Today, we have a special guest on our show, Alex Myers from Argonne. Now, as some of you may have noticed, the last few guests we've had and the next few guests are Agilists that came into Agile delivery, Agile ecosystem, and have grown and have applied that and grown that into the DAO space, decentralized autonomous organizations. Here on The Modern Agilist, we don't believe that these are disparate, unconnect realities, but they're really, in fact, evolution of what we're doing as Agilists. But I won't speak for Alex. He's going to give us the deep dive. Alex, thanks for coming on the show. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's, a, it's an honor and a privilege, gentlemen. Yeah, how should I start? I'll just go over my background a little bit. In my most recent history, I'm an Agile coach. That's primarily the role I play with Aragon. We do, we are a product-focused DAO primarily, although there's some interesting things happening in that Aragon, which we can touch on later, but primarily my focus has been on being a Scrum Master, operations lead for the products, playing different roles, but mainly ensuring that the team has all the process improvements they need, the right mental models, and then basically empowering them as, as all good agilists know, for example, we're primarily using scrum right now, but we use a lot of different methods, but yeah, w my role will probably change throughout Aragon to encompass more enablement of various teams with different kinds of agile models. But yeah, before that I did product management, I did people operations. I've pretty much become a big generalist with this light bent towards agility. So that's kind of my, my history to sum things up. That's awesome. And that, that, that generalist with a bent, it's the agile, agilist renaissance man. We, we love that. Now, could you give us a little bit of background of how you got into the agile mental space and what that journey was like? Cause it'd be very tempting for us to just shoot straight off into the nebula, into the deep stuff, but let's start before that how you got in. And then after that, maybe how your eyes were open to what is this Dow thing, you know? Sure. The Agile journey for me was probably like many people's in retrospect. It was mainly getting a lot of training in traditional, more waterfall style project management that has lots of heavy requirements up front where the deadlines are rarely met. And obviously with the larger ecosystem tooling, CI, CD, DevOps, all the software practices were constantly evolving and speeding up. So we had all this technology happening on one side. And then we had all of this project management methodology happening on the other, and they continued to be a stronger and stronger disconnect. And then you started to see it in the tools and it basically became obvious to me, Hey, maybe I should get some certifications or at least bone up on my knowledge of agility. Um, so that's when I really started using scrum a lot and pushing people to a product teams to use more scrum. And this was again, back in the early two thousands when I was just starting. 
to do project management. That's the reasoning, mainly technology factors, probably my futurist mindset as well. It's just thinking about where everything's going and then convincing people. This is inevitable, everybody. These pipelines are beginning to get faster. And so here's how we match the technology with the, with the process improvement and the management of, of iterative development. Yeah, I like your description on seeing the advances, the manifestation of Moore's law in the tooling. You're like, hey, our organizational patterns and thinking need to change. And not just, this is a, kind of a new flavor of a thing. We do this because the book says to do it. There's a rationale and a model that drives that adoption. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So also one of the things on your LinkedIn is a certified futurist. And I'm trying to pride myself as a futurist and I also a certification junkie, but I had not seen this one and I got to <laughs> hand it to you that once I saw it, I was like, what do we have here? So tell us the order of operations. You come into, into scrum and agile mm -hmm. delivery and then be like, okay, get your flavor or taste for the futurists and then DAOs or did the DAOs and the futurist stuff happen at the same time? They really happened at the same time. The futurist thing was an idea that I had because a lot of my mental models were focused on thinking about what's going to happen next. And so I was like, I already read a lot of speculative science fiction. And that's the type where it's not 3000 years in the future. It's like the next five to 10 years. Those are my favorite. Ooh, yeah, just the one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the ones like by Neil Stevenson, like Cryptonomicon, for example, touches on a lot of these team themes and then quite a bit of detail as well. So I love books like that. And it wasn't just that I enjoyed the reading. I'm like, how can I actually make this professionally useful? And it turns out a feature of certification like this is really just a manner of taking a lot of these concepts and looking at, okay, what's an MVP right now, what's coming up next and what's farther ahead. And then looking at economic variables, a different data sets. I mean, that's the part that was, that's really lacking from someone who just reads sci-fi. Okay. There's all these economic yeah. data sets and variables that are trying to show what things are happening sooner than other things as far as technology goes. So that includes what the people, what is the future like? Look at, look after COVID. If you have data mm -hmm. sets about healthcare, that kind of balances against other trends that are occurring. What is the future of organizations look like the future of ESG, future of startups? Yeah. And all, everything that comes from that Ro robotics, artificial intelligence, blockchain. So looking at basically combining the data with the fun stuff that I always enjoy. That is too cool. I, we're, when we first, we first met and before I asked you to come on this podcast, we talked and within 10 minutes, I was like, oh, we were vibing so hard. I was like, you have to come on. <laughs> I love the future prediction. I've even before getting to agile delivery, my blog singularity hacker was all that, like a projecting out what's coming. Always my prediction was like, this is going to be next year and we still don't have it today, but still there's a passion there. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell us about how then your exposure into DAOs when you became aware or saw there was something there. Yeah. One of my first pleasure was from the investing lens. So a lot of people, DAOs were a big thing, probably mid to early, I want to say 2020, when the market was still on the up and up, so to speak. And so a lot of DAOs were creating tokens. The early primitives of DAOs and governance were coming about. So a lot of projects that I believed in, such as Klimadao, for example, which I believe the, I always forget his name. He's a big venture capitalist, owns a basketball team. Can't recall his name, but. Uh, Mark Cuban. Mark, yeah, 
Mark Cuban, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and so I heard about it from him and I'm like, oh, this is a pretty cool idea, taking carbon credits from the market and putting it on a protocol to then sell as a token. Seemed pretty awesome. But yeah, that, that was back in the day when there was a lot of rug pulls in that space and things like that. But still, I started to feel the vibes in a lot of those Discord spaces. I started to understand like, wow, people are really deeply thinking about these ideas, but here's a weird thing. Like these people are not incentivized in the traditional way. Like, why do they care so much about this particular thing? And they're not getting the steady salary. Like, how is that happening? Or the ones who are, you don't know, or the fact that nobody has title, nobody has status, at least not in the same way. So I started to notice this. I'm like, there's something to this. And then I realized, of course, with the great resignation, with COVID and all these things, these are all the changes in the weather that we're seeing with uh, people who are losing purpose and meaning for a variety of cultural and societal factors, which we will not get into. But long story short, people are highly engaged in these DAOs, whereas they were not in their traditional organizations. So a lot of people who leave for DAOs or start contributing to DAOs notice that vibe, notice that, wow, we're a bunch of people who really care about doing something important that we think is the future. And so anything they contribute to, there's more engagement. And so when I started to notice this, I'm like, I need to find myself a hybrid situation here where not only where I can get a consistent salary, but I can transition into this DAO space full time and be part of the Cambrian explosion. That is all the stuff we're going to talk about. These, uh, these governance ideas, these compensation mechanisms that are all part of managing pro projects in a way that is efficient, predictable, all the things you talk about. Yeah, that's good. I have several questions I want to get your take on is, is, is this, I'll start with this because our, all of our listeners are not web three natives. <laughs> Many of them are coming just from pure agile background. What is a DAO? That's the trillion dollar question there. <laughs> yeah. Always try to use the simplest definition. It's always some basic form of a group of people. Technically it's not even people. It's a wallet addresses. <laughs> that are created and come together and they share a cap table usually. And sometimes that cap table has no actual money in it of any form, usually a form of tokenized cryptocurrency or some mixture of crypto assets. Yeah. And they vote on things. They create proposals for things to improve, things to do together. It could be anything from a product. I think the flexibility, right? You guys know this, the flexibility of DAO space is what makes it so difficult to understand. It makes it so ambiguous to people because the potential scale of it is so much larger than a traditional framework that we think of pretty much any other organization. Because when you can tokenize anything and the intermediaries are gone, all of this entire opportunity space opens up for what you can build. Now there's product focused DAOs, of course, and that's going to be more traditional as far as like how you build products, but then you have their own communities and as you effects of the network effects of how these companies grow and sustain revenue and become solvent are based off of different variables than traditional companies. So if you have a community that really likes the product, everything you're building is open source and more developers start to use it. That's how things amass value. That's how the token value increases. Of course, there's a lot of other factors, but the entire model is different as far as the incentives. And that's where you see a lot more of the uh, passion come in. It's because people are directly involved. It's like being part of a co-op. You have a say in, in what is decided. That's more skin in the game, as Nassim Taleb would say. 
If you have more experience in the game, your incentives are different. You tend to be more productive in most cases. So that's the intention. That's good. Now I'll ask you for someone listening right now who still hasn't seen the connection between Scrum and DAOs or Agile and DAOs. Yeah. What's that? That's a good question. What's the, to, to many people, they're saying like, listen, I understand this. I understand scrum teams, cross-functional teams, delivering and increments. And this DAO thing, it seems like a bunch of cryptocurrency stuff. They're, they're just not making the connection. What's yeah. the connection for you in your mind that you see there? Yeah, absolutely. And scrum is all about self-managing teams and DAOs are effectively the most scrum-centric model because there isn't a top-down structure. Usually the limitation to delivery is barriers or blockers from decisions made at the top of the organization. The possibility space for DAOs enables the true functional attributes of Scrum to emerge. So you have the privilege to work on a mission in a completely transparent environment within a team of people. And as, as I know you're working on justice, you can have a situation where the entire budget of your team is decided by the team. That's the transition point. And so you have, how much engagement can you get from the team to deliver something? If they have all of these incentives to add value, not just from a financial perspective, because their tokens are directly involved in their outputs to various degrees, but through a leather, so it allows the mechanisms of scrum to work much better. So. Self-management, we also, a company usually isn't all that transparent. It's a lot more centralized. So the decentralization of decision-making that's common in scrum teams is allowed to flourish a lot more in these environments and role-based leadership is also allowed to flourish. That's really important for DAOs because it has nothing, it has less to do with your title versus what it is you particularly know more about than other people on the team. And it enables that naturally because that's how DAOs are structured. It's about role-based leadership. And uh, that's how they relate so closely to the Scrum and Agile ethos is that the intention is already built in as far as the structure of the DAO, which is much more transparent, decentralized, of course, open to all global. So it, it creates a big unlocking effect for the concepts around Scrum. You know, two things that come to mind talk about the natural, unavoidable, totally apply the scrum model in traditional orgs is that someone was telling us some time ago about a huge, I think it was, I'm pretty sure I had the facts figures on this is they felt that they were the only ones right now that could currently compete with Tesla. And they said, we cannot possibly make the necessary internal cultural changes to produce the kind of the output we need. So they kicked off a whole separate organizational entity to, to make this electric car, this specific line. And one of the things that came up that I think this actually came from one of our guests several episodes back was they said, guess how the teams, people in the teams who does the hiring and firing. And everyone's like, wow. And they said the team itself, the team mm -hmm. does its own HR. How do they decide compensation? The team itself, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the first point. The second point is I've actually worked with teams where things that are basic, their textbook exercises like retrospectives, where the retrospective has lost its ability to be effective because all of the changes over a longer period of time that the team would like to implement, they've reached their limit of 
there's an organization around them that doesn't allow that level, that thing to change. And so when you say, hey, the ideas, the, all the energy is lost because they've hit that wall too many times or they're like, hey, this is how we do stuff. This is how we're going to do it. There's not that agile, unchained environment. Of just it's a good point too, Justice, because it seems in structured, structured agile or we're using a scrum kind of framework it, in, in an organization, in a, in a traditional organization, you get pushback too. A lot of times they're not independent of some higher level says, doesn't matter what you think. We're not going to try something different. Just get it done. So this is what we've done. Mm -hmm. We don't have the time or the opportunity to try something different or to take a different, a different approach as opposed to something that's a little bit more unchanged. Like you said, that's pretty interesting. Now, Alex, do you are, do we have the people from this scene in the agile space applying all the learnings that we know from agile delivery or is, are we limping along half busted in the Dow space because we don't have the thought this is quite a leading question here. <laughs> yeah. I know where you're going. Yeah. yeah. And I have a, I have comments. <laughs> okay. Good, 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 good. Yeah. So yeah, too long did the read that was a revolutionary for scrum teams because it matches the elements, as we said, low structure costs, high transparency, they have more clarity of purpose. And there's just a finer, there's just a closer connection between incentives and what people are delivering. That's where you see so much disengagement. And so that high level of engagement, it's perfect for scrum. However, <laughs> the challenge with highly engaged teams is often a catch 22 when combined with the DAO, because you realize that if you don't have enough structure place, you are constantly at a state of, because it is completely flat, there is no management structure. If you don't have ads at first, or if you're not thinking in that structure, you end up in the scenario where it's a who decides. So it's harder to form solutions. And so at some point in time, someone has to take the lead, especially if you're trying to compete with web free startups that are not DAOs who have a less flat org structure, who are delivering products specifically. And we're seeing that now with a lot of DAOs who are making products and they just can't scale at the same speed. And it's because of too little coordination. So as we know with agility, you can't constraints and clarity enables agency and autonomy. This is why clear governance matters and why we really need to be thinking about concepts like, oh, this is a silly one, but like people say minimum viable, everything, but like minimum viable centralization. This is not a dirty word. This is less about specific humans having control or status or signaling their titles, but it's about having eventually underlying contracts, smart contracts that have boundaries or criteria that cannot be crossed so that limits certain things from happening. We'll touch on that later, but in the short term, this means a little bit of human oversight or at least some initial structures in place so that all the different groups that are communicating up back to the parent DAO, or some people call it the meta DAO, are coordinating effectively. A lot of traditional organizations do a similar thing. They attempt to give individual working groups, like scrum teams, like product scrum teams, seven to 12 people, or whatever the range of number is, and they give them enough autonomy. DAOs can take it a step further and give them their own separate budget. And as long as they hit certain criteria, it works. But we are so far away from that. So in the meantime, that is where the challenges are. You end up breaking down game theory, essentially, which is the other side of the coin is that if you don't implement agile early enough, you have so many people 
who just think they're coming into a scenario where, oh, I have all this agency and all this autonomy, <laughs> but they end up with massive ambiguity. They don't know if any decision they're about to make has already been made or if a task has already been done and they can't ask anybody because nobody's a leader. And so you end up doing these circles. So it's literally like game theory breaking down because people don't know the rules of the game. And that's the polar opposite side that you have to address in a lot of DAOs right now, which is still actually a problem. Man, like I said, vibing so hard, vibrating <laughs> mentally on the same frequency here. You mentioned something called game theory, and this is something that I've wondered because always when a field extends and expands and evolves to the next, it happens over tech. What mm -hmm. happens that a new body of work or some different a framework or thought or whatever. And I've thought yeah, in the DAO space, people say, hey, how do we learn? How do we do this better? And I get hard pressed because I'm like, you, all of us should go back and study the literature that's already out there. Like the mm -hmm. massive series like Management 3.0 and all the series from Scrum.org and all this stuff, the Scrum got all this stuff. But then, so there's part one, but then part two, I said, what's the 2.0, the 3.0 of this? And I've often wondered if it's all of that plus incentive engineering. And so the next stage is just adding tools or general approaches, a playbook for ways to build incentive engineering around this. So it's not just the team doesn't just want to meet their commitments because it's the right thing to do, but that mm -hmm. there's approaches to incentive engineering that can be placed all around that. Yeah. Let me, uh, let, go ahead. Let me, just let me just tag onto that too, because what Justice is saying, the part B at least from an operational standpoint too, in coming from a more traditional background, how do teams transition once, once they identify a playbook, like Justin was saying, how do they then transition into actually executing and setting that up and putting that into motion? That's, I think, a big barrier to entry for teams that are, air quotes, agile teams shifting into this DAO mindset. So I, I just wanted to add that part B as, as we discuss that. Yeah. And this is something Justice, I know you're working on or thinking about uh, deeply, which is the, this transition point, because from a hiring perspective, I truly believe that in many ways, DAOs will completely refactor or replace a lot of contemporary contracting agencies or recruiting agencies in some ways, because the mechanism of how you go about creating value in a team can be as little as, okay, here's $50. We need you to write a tweet to market our DAO to, we'll give you $4,000 if you review these 20 PRs and make sure that the code is in alignment <laughs> with our base documentation. <laughs> I'm just throwing out an example. Yeah. And then you have all the stepwise levels up to that. What are the steps in which someone, hey, you did a really good job in these last two bounties, which is basically what I just mentioned, little pieces of work to give you money if you complete the task. <laughs> and then how do you move up? How do you move out to the next level where it's like, hey, we'd like you to be quasi-permanent on this team. Here's some different incentive mechanisms, although we're building your reputation, hopefully on chain, if, you can, if that strategy exists, which it does, and get to a point where you can be like, okay, now you have a minimum viable type of salary. And then if you want to make additional funds, here's a way to do it. You can do all these bounties because you become a core member of the team. That's the big thing that I think is going to be challenging, especially for product-focused DAOs. And I want to hear your thoughts on this, Justice and Rick, is that the concept of normally starting performing these levels of team maturity, a product team has to remain a product team to some degree 
So what's the interesting thing is going to be, what are going to be the ways in which outsiders can have value without disrupting the flow of the core team? And how does that expand and split off into future feature teams, governance mechanisms that are all brand new? Yeah, man. Good that's... question. Justice has it all solved, right? Yeah, we'll just we'll wrap it up here, fellas. <laughs> yeah, it's it's huge. There are times when it feels like, wow, this is all so new. It's unsolved. It's unexplored. And then occasionally, like I fall back to earth, and I'm like, ah, it's freelance contracting with just some varied uh, compensation measures. Maybe there's a retainer, then there's bonuses for these certain things and whatever. The challenge I find that I feel, and maybe I'm not, I'm seeing tension that maybe there's a way around it. There's like a, a an Aikido way to deal with it, a redirection, uh -huh. is that I increasingly come to this tension between creating incentive mechanisms, which is, yes, that's what all of this is about. Incentives built on top of this. And not creating a mercenary individualistic environment because in the, in the agile thought space we say it's about the team the team is greater than the sum of the parts right it doesn't matter if a person's like, well i got my story through i got my product backlog item through i don't know about you guys mm -hmm. it's about did the team deliver and be able to demonstrate user-facing value at the end of the iteration, right? If the incentives are placed wrong, then you're right back into incentivizing the mercenary behavior. And so yeah. think, thinking about how to have the, how those things cohere is a real challenge. And that's where I was digging into a little bit too, with my part B of that question, right? Is it you either have teams that are warming, you know, pushing the envelope shifting into this DAO space, working as a DAO, working as a collective individuals, or you have a traditional product team that's already a team that's been working and they want to see, hey, how can we leverage some of the new stuff that we're talking about? Like what Justice is getting at, I think, is the part that, that hasn't been solved, in my mind at least. And I have yet to talk to anybody that can really, art, and I'm not saying this in a mean way, but really articulate, this is how we keep that core team acting like a team. It's greater than the sum of its parts, like Justice just said whether it be a theme that's shifting into something like this or a bunch of individuals that get together so that it doesn't become, again, like Justice said, a bunch of mercenaries. Okay, my part's done. My part's done. My part's done. Okay, great. It's all got to come together at some point, right? There's got to be, the, you know, I think, Alex, you mentioned some governance around it. And I'm not sure I personally can answer that. I, I, that's why I look to, to you and Justice and others explain that. And I just don't think we've gotten there yet. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I, I, uh, Justice, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I have some like futurist type thoughts, but to me, they seem inevitable. It's just a matter of on-chain scaling and the technology involved with stuff we already have and trying to find the right balance so that people still have at least better agency and autonomy than they have in a web two type system that's just collecting their data and, and making people become just more passive over time and they have no idea why. And we can hop to that as far as what do I see for future org design, I'm guessing you'd probably agree with a lot of the ideas, but I'd like well, best yeah, predictor I, of the future is the past. So very much. We probably would. I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear that. And let me just preface too, or maybe put a caveat to anything I said, I'm, this is not me poo pooing on the idea of DAOs and not at all. It's me saying, Hey, this is great. How to continue to move the, move the needle forward. So. There, there, like, Rick, just to put this out there, 
There is absolutely a personal hype cycle to people involved in DAOs. People are like, I don't know, whatever. Then they get involved a little bit and they're like, oh my God. And they're full blown fanatics. Okay. The people who've been, the people who've been grinding hard for the past Mm -hmm. year straight, they're some of the biggest secret skeptics because Mm -hmm. of the issues of we were supposed to, I came for the, uh, the slaying of coordination overhead and got destroyed mm-hmm. by an avalanche of coordination failure. You're hundred percent right there. Yeah. Justice. Like that's the issue right now. And I know how hard you're working within bankless, for example, to put some of, some more structures in place there. And I think as far as the pizza goes, I think the most obvious low hanging fruit for us is agile minded people is associating, first of all, associating in some way a treasury allocation for self-managed encryption of individuals. Right now it's like in this in-between space where it's like, hey, I work for a DAO, but I still have to write proposals every few months for my own existence. <laughs> and, yes. and then that takes away from the focus on developing outputs for the product, for example. The, and this all goes with the ideas around the optimal size of teams with the higher or lower bounds that we're familiar with in Scrum. Let's say that the max is around 12 depending on the types of roles in each self-managing unit that has its own treasury, right? That's the big benefit that we're trying to go towards. But even if you add that, you're, you still have coordination problems. And a lot of them are based off of just humans trying to self-organize and self-manage themselves within a completely flat structure. So it's not necessarily improvement. And that is why, and I'm curious for your thoughts, Justice, but I think there has to be some form of automation at some point, because it, it's not just the fact that, oh, we all have our own wallet and we're all incentivized with our own treasury. This is great. And I think we need to have even more governance automation. So consider it like smart contracts for the smart contracts. I know that sounds confusing, but the governance right now is replacing top-down bureaucracy in traditional organizations. So any advancements we've made with people feeling like to have more autonomy and more agency and making decisions and becoming a leader in a certain thing without having to worry about their title. That's all great. But we have all this governance overhead, as you mentioned. And so what I see in the future is mechanisms that are on smart contracts that basically have conditional things that occur. So let's say that you have a treasury. It's KPI based. So let's say the treasury is integrated with the development repo, the repository world of code stuff. And so if something is merged or certain triggers, certain event triggers happen, then the DAO or that, that, that squad, that, that sub DAO or whatever that shared wallet that is. working group. Yep. Yep. It perpetually gets funded. If the trigger does not happen. So if the KPI is not met or the condition is not met. And so that, of course, to the listeners, a smart contract is simply an if this, then that state, if you're, you know, if you're a developer, that's pretty much how all these workloads work. And, and it does that at scale. So you can have as many as you want. So that's what I see within these groups. And you already see the transition to this. I think Lido, for example, is doing this with some of their DAO governance tooling. And basically here's what it does. It allows for no voting requirements at all, as long as the key conditions are met. Mm-hmm. So other concepts like votes automatically passed with criteria around consent. And mm-hmm. again, key thresholds have been reached or simply just not having to worry about voting. If you have no strong objections, this is the whole concept with sociocracy and just consent-based agreement. That's an agile concept as well. It's a design concept. So thus, 
what I mean is everything we've seen in the last 10 years with automating things like CICD pipelines for friction-free iterative delivery, all the stuff we've seen in Web2, we have to figure out a way to do the same thing with governance mechanisms that are on-chain that also protect people's identities and reputation and not take their data. And so we're going to see the same thing happen, but we have to be careful with how we implement it. I see this with everything from the project management tooling. It will not be long before the big names like Atlassian, Jira, Microsoft, others will begin adding something akin to wallet API. Yep. Deeper integration with many project tools into Web3 and DAO tooling and vice versa. The challenge is, of course, the models, the intellectual property and data management that Jira does as a Web2 company that has a different set of metrics. And then, of course, the network effects in Web3. That's where I see the biggest hurdles is, okay, you can use your wallet, but you have to give us all this data, by the way. And so the, that little interface is going to be interesting, but that's what's coming next. And we already see tools that are designed for Web3, like Dwork, for example, it's basically a Trello with a wallet interface. It even has some GitHub integrations power. Yep. Yeah. That's the next thing. Two-way uh, binding too. Uh, yep. hundred percent. Yeah. And I think this even goes down in the next few years. We see machine learning, artificial intelligence. It's a little creepy to someone who's investigated this, like some of the recent chatbot discoveries with the yep. Google engineer who got fired, but think about, try to try not to be cynical about these things and try to see areas of optimism. So think of project management, think about user story acceptance. If it's pulling data from documentation database for acceptance criteria, you can automate things. So basically ro robotic process automation. Gherkin um, so reborn for web exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And this is already happening in, in web two. And when I make these distinctions, I simply mean like. Web2 can scale faster because they have centralized compute architectures and all these other things. So the incentives are different for a lot of reasons. And that's where we're going to see a lot of the hurdles between these systems. And obviously the benefits of blockchain for individual savagery is huge thing to overcome. And that's the big question. Of course, we've talked about justice between decentralization versus centralization. And what is that line? that people are okay with. Yeah. Basically I see more automation improving. Basically I see DAOs only able to compete. This, this is going to be a strong point. I only see DAOs who make products being able to compete with other web three startups that do not have a flat structure without seeing a little bit of centralization, either in the form of governance structures or agility minded structures that are in place. That give people plenty of autonomy, but say, Hey, there's limits to what you can do here in this situation, et cetera, because otherwise we're going to continue to see this trend of ambiguity and you just won't be able to develop as quickly. And I don't want that because I want people to be in control of these future systems, just like in decentralized finance, it's important that things are decentralized, but there are areas where you have to be able to find a balance and that is delivering something at scale. Straight fire, my friend. A few thoughts that came to mind as you were talking is it is, there's this meme where it shows someone like real dumb looking on the left side and then like a genius on the right. And then it's like a bell curve and there's people in the middle. There's there, I, this meme comes to mind where you got the dummy on the side and you're like, Hey, some stuff has to be centralized or people are like, Oh, you dummy. This is web three. We're the future. And then you get to the middle where you're like, Hey everything's decentralized it's the future that's the most people in web3 then you get to the genius on the right and you're like listen 
some things are centralized. Okay. Yep. What's funny is people, it, they almost, uh, they use the word decentralized as if it's a moral imperative that at every mm -hmm. stage, no matter what you're talking about, decentralized. I was in a situation some time ago and they're like, yes, this whole thing is working great. And these are the people who run in these work streams. We need to decentralize these positions. I'm like, why? And mm -hmm. it struck me that dude, the, when we talk about decentralized, we're talking about the network. A network is decentralized. It doesn't mean every node in the network is decentralized. If every node is decentralized, then whatever those nodes are, then okay, those are decentralized. You end up with nothing but space. There's nothing there. And taking it all the way back to the engineering first principles, Bitcoin miners are not decentralized. There's a physical hardware burning electricity. Even in a proof of stake, there's an address. There's a person putting up the stake to say, here's what the state of the network is. So definitely uh, connect with you on that. And the model of a network being nodes and relationships between those nodes, all four, they're being strong, focused, dependable, efficient execution of the nodes. And yet the network as a whole being decentralized. A few mm. other points, just to respond to what you said, the idea of a stream of income or the something that's working, it continues to work as long as certain KPIs are met. It's funny because basically the way the situation in this analogy came to me, it's almost like right now, every month I have to re-sign up for a utility. That's the mm -hmm. equivalent, right? Hey, I'm once again writing to you to have my electricity continue to work. <laughs> the reality is, I think the other day I thought, Wait, who's the utility providing electricity here? I don't know. It's on auto payment. I'm not watching it. And I had to dig around like who, because it's just, I don't have to think about it. It's on, it pays itself. That's it, right? Um, on the Atlassian, 100%, it's only a matter of time. And I was racking my brain thinking about how tools like D-Work, Wonderverse, Clarity, how they can run the whole scene. And then Rick and myself were actually at the Atlassian conference in April before the light bulb went off. And I was like, dude, it's one update away for them introducing a uh, login with Ethereum as one of the options. Mm -hmm. It's a, a login with Ethereum. And then now there's an actual, there's an extra property in Jira on these tickets or something. Yeah, like that. that was a point of great conversation. Yeah. Man. Oh, oh yeah, I was giggling about how obvious that was when Justice brought that up. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. And, and especially given too, you remember back in the day, not too long ago, before Atlassian bought Trello and they had their whole power up plug-in system and you had to pay for all of those. And a part of that purchase is all those power ups are free now. We got one, we're one developer submission away from login with Ethereum at the Trello level to, to basically enable all this stuff. And, and then, and lastly, you mentioned like the need to move to contract based interactions. This is working theory on how we got here is the strongest on chain contract based interactions we have are protocol DAOs. These are DAOs where the decision-making is so narrowed down for instance, like with MakerDAO, it's like the interest rate. It's so focused. Like this is the only thing we vote on. That's it. And that doesn't leave a lot of room for a bunch of crazy rando people to get in a, and talk and now oh, we're going to build something. So you had the birth of like social DAOs really not that long ago, maybe two years ago now. Social DAOs was way more open-ended with a very basic, a multi-sig, Gnosis multi-signature multi safe. And I think what we have is those two working to the middle that allows for the same creativity, the same kind of 
not so tight and focused as a protocol, but also not so wide open that pretty much anything mm-hmm. can happen and we just vote and send money from what we say. So 100 mm-hmm. percent. There, there's a for that very reason, I think it was it was some people left Bankless Dow earlier in the year to focus on Orca protocol, which is effectively a protocol for the discrete determination of who is a part of a working group and who is not. Mm-hmm. So most fundamental unit of who the heck's on this team and who's not. Yeah, absolutely. And just to your point, it just goes back to the structure thing and the coordination challenges. But what we have to remember what happens, self-organizing teams are great, but self-management has a whole nother level. So the reality is that when you try to do DAOs and you don't have a structure, ambiguity centralizes power to those with soft power or those in the know. And so you end up getting centralization anyway, if you don't have a little bit of structure there to start delivering things. Good point. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, sometimes I wonder with DAOs and them not having uh, agile mindsets or organizational mindsets, we can't keep reinventing the wheel. As you guys had referenced earlier, I, I wonder if DAOs need like uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, like a pseudonymous <laughs> identity that yes. acts as the catalyst. Since any met- mention of a doxed person acting as a catalyst is seen as a leader and thus incompatible mm-hmm. with the DAO. It's it, in the circular logic that I see in so many DAOs, it just boggles the mind of people like us who have worked with traditional companies, even co-ops, like we still understand that structure is needed. So yet we're still trying to reinvent the wheel because all these models that we've done spent millions upon millions of dollars of research on (laughs) that was put out by McKinsey and all these major institutes, Harvard, doesn't matter. We're just like, no, we got to just sweep it under the rug, throw the baby out with the bathwater, the expression. I I wonder if there was a cat. Go ahead, Rick. I was just going to say, it's interesting. You said there all this stuff, all the, basically all the history, all the study, all the real world effort put into it. It's just, even within, let's, you're not doing that, even within organization, traditional organization, there's no need to ignore what was already identified as useful. You can incorporate that. And I feel like there's sometimes just talking about this casually, even there's some, of a, some, some there's a fear of, we can't do it way because that's how it was done. And this is the new world. Kind of like what Justice mentioned a minute ago, some people said so on that curve, the, the meme that he brought up. There's nothing wrong with learning from the past and incorporating some of the good stuff into the way that things are done in the future. That's just my observation. And that, that kind of pattern of thinking is so common too. I can't care how many times I've been in a situation, in a context, meeting, conversation. So, oh, we should do this. And then someone detects that it looked yeah. a little bit similar yeah. to way things operated before. And they're like, no, we're here to rebuild. We're here to do things different. This is a recreation. And I'm like, ah, there's stuff that was done a certain way for a reason. We could well, very few innovations too, right? In history have come from just a start fresh new thing yeah. built upon something. Shoulder and giant. It, and it, yeah. And it changes over time. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the the Satoshi Nakamoto of Web3 organizational design. What's interesting is what was the catalyst that gave birth to that very identity itself? The the crash and bailout of the banks. It mentioned the title in the Genesis block. I wonder, all the way back in March, we started, started talking and feeling, are we going to see cascading failures in DAOs? 
And I suspect, as we have seen the cascading failures in certain stable coins, Three Arrows Capital, Voyager, just declaring bankruptcy, we see a similar thing where you, DAOs have launched tokens that instantly put made them multi multi-millionaire uh, status organizations without the ability to organize effectively and execute that you can't just give away printed internet magic money for a year or months and that be sustainable. And we see like major cascading failures and that maybe produces the appetite for change, which then allows a thought leader to say something that people actually have the appetite to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And then you're already famous and MakerDAO, which has one of the most resilient stable coins in existence. They want to put in place an oversight committee to help with process controls. So, mm -hmm. so simply they can deliver their products a little bit faster. And again, this competition exists, especially in bear markets. You can't just throw a bunch of venture capital money. Oftentimes, as you guys no, it starts often with that. And that's how they get the yields at the very beginning. For a lot of these mm -hmm. initial token holders is, oh, this is just extra capital money. But what happens when that runs out or when their product isn't going at the same speed is a traditional startup company that may be web based. And that's where we're running into right now, I'm afraid. And I think unless we put some of these structures in place, like agility, like work design, and start getting people to agree that let's just try this. I think we are going to see some cascading failures. The time has is flying by so fast. I feel like yeah. for our listeners, there's a special DAO called Cabin DAO, which basically mm -hmm. takes people that are all hype and invested in these ideas and stuff. And you basically join this DAO and you go away in these cabins they have set up across the whole country <laughs> and just jam and whiteboard for days. I, we could have this conversation for days on end in one of these cabins <laughs> easily. But Alex, could you leave us with some final thoughts on one advice for our listeners who are already proficient agilists in contributing or getting involved or doing this? And then after that, maybe what do you think next steps are you or what gets you excited about, about getting up in the morning? Yeah, I would say the main thing is that a traditional places for employment or interest in gaining some incentive and experience in the space, you're probably not going to find it on LinkedIn. Maybe every once in a while, <laughs> but you really have to start looking into following people on crypto Twitter. Banquets, obviously, always lift jobs in Web3. There's web3.career, I believe the URL is. And so these are all places where you could at least, at the minimum, get into some of these discords traditionally and start having discussions. Start having chats with people and say, hey, where's your bounty board? How could I contribute? When you start looking at some of those tasks and you start being involved in some of those meetings, you will start to understand where this is going. That's, all, that's the best thing I could say. That was mostly my experience. And I am very grateful to be in the position where like I'm transitioning a hundred percent to a DAO, but I'm coming from a traditional role with standard compensation. So I'm extremely lucky because not only do I get to make this transition, but I, I get to design what that looks like for myself, which is incredible. And then the future is for that. I'm just thinking about, it's like, we have to remember ourselves as human beings. I love this conversation, but at the end of the day, with technology and everything happening, everything's latency and it's attention span and human interactions are all about feedback loops. So if you want to 
build good things. You have to remember to be kind to one another, these good vibes that you see in DAOs. It's a real thing. But what I mean with all of this is that when you have a society that is more complex every single day with the potential knowledge that it exists, and then you have a reduction in average human attention span, what do you get? You get more polarization. So DAOs to me are a way to resensitize myself to the fact that there are people who are highly passionate, who are not being, who are not disengaged, who are not polarized, who are so engaged that they will work with people and even people they disagree with. And to me, that's what the biggest thing I've noticed. Nobody cares about status and the feedback loops and interactions when that doesn't matter and only your ideas matter, only your wallet address matters and your contribution matters. It changes everything. It truly does. And that's what DAOs enable. That's what the blockchain enables as far as identity management and all this. So and just get used to uncertainty, everyone. We have, it's only going to increase. I think the Japanese term is, I heard it from one of the great people over at Aragon, Ben's his name. But we're part of something bigger here. We're the new frontier, as they say at Bankless. This can give people more sovereignty. And that's a beautiful thing. Who knows where it's going to go, but I'm very optimistic. Well, man, I'm giving you a slow clap over here. I got goosebumps. <laughs> I really appreciate you bringing that human element. There never was a time we needed more of an emphasis on that. He's good. So Alex, are you go by catharsis on Twitter? Yes. The history on that is a little weird. Not something to go over now, but yeah, <laughs> catharsis number 1624. If you want to find me on discord or there's other ways to reach out to Aragon as well in the discord at com. And yeah, visit us at aragon.org to learn more about us. We just created recently a DAO experts program. That's a place where people like Bankless Consulting is there. A number of other partnerships we have are there. And that's just a great entry point to get expertise in various areas that Aragon explicitly might not have. Feel free to check us out in the Discord around that section. Amazing. Thank you so much, Alex, for coming on the show. We will we'll love to have you back in the future. And for all our listeners, be sure to follow on Twitter, get involved, get engaged. And we have a few more guests coming up, which will complete our whole series here on the Modern Agilist on a deep, DAO deep dive. What are DAOs? Where are they going? And then we brought in people who are extremely talented Agile practitioners that are operators in the space to, to give you guys the insight and the deep dive. So thanks for listening. Thanks, Alex. Awesome. Thanks, Alex. This is really great. Oh, thank you, Rick.